Halsey boats were already far from the Medus when they were brought to to form a chain in order to tow the raft. The barge in which was the governor of Senegal took the first tow. Then all of the other boats in succession joined themselves to that. There yet remained upon the Medus more than sixty persons. What you doing, Charlotte? I am composing the narrative of our adventures, young Robert, so that I may remember them when I am once again presented with paper and pen on which to write them. Do not mind her, Robert. She fancies herself something of an essayist, although it takes no particular skill to write things down as they happen. You mind your business, Carolyn Picard. Writing is a skill of great wit and erudition which you would do well to practice the art of scansion and syntax yourself. Please don't fight. I couldn't bear it after everything. Not a worry in your head, Robert. We are really fighting. We are just sisters, and this is a very small boat. When will we be able to get out? I'm very hungry. All they gave me this morning was an eighth of a biscuit. That's not a lot. I once ate nine whole biscuits in one sitting. I am sure you did. Unfortunately, after last night's storm, in which you are so grievously injured, we have been carried far from the coast and must in all likelihood spend the entire day sailing back towards Seneca. How is your head, by the way? It hurts, but I'll do. Are you sure I'm the only one who was struck down so? There was no one else knocked insensible for a time? I have told you, silly boy. You're the only one. I guess she's not... I guess she's not here, then. Well, that is a bother. Well, how did that happen? No, the 21st century audience is not supposed to hear events without my guidance. I am telling you, the board was locked down, and it is a DNA-secured system. Yes, well, it's a little late for that now, isn't it? All right. Yes. Yes, I'll do that. Ahem. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, as you might have noticed, we had a technical glitch at the top of this program. You have my sincerest apologies. If you will give me but a moment, we can begin again. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's special two-part episode, entitled Racked and Ruin, is sponsored by The Portalist and features the music of Diego's Umbrella. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our heroes, they were separated by the circumstance of shipwreck. Our good doctor has survived the depredations of a hostile ocean and more hostile wrath mates, only to die of injuries at the hospital of the town of St. Louis on the Senegalese coast. Until this moment, we did not know where the professor had landed. 
Now we shall learn of what happened to him in the intervening days, and eventually we may learn where he is now. Land ho! Did you hear that, Robert? There is the coast of Senegal, after all. We shall be on solid land before you know it. That is good, because I checked the water barrel, and there's barely four pints sloshing in its guts, and there's no more than a half a dozen biscuits total. I fear we will perish from want if we do not make sure soon. In the event, it would take another two days for the survivors to grow desperate enough to try to crest the long rolling breakers on the Barbary coast. As they approached the shore, the foamy surge filled them with terror. But the sight of Medusa's shipmates already ashore and signaling them to come in gave them heart, and they challenged the billowing sea. Each wave that came in from the open sea, each billows that swept beneath our boat, made us bound into the air. So we were sometimes thrown from the poop to the prow, and from the prow to the poop. The helm of the boat was again given to the old pilot, who had already so happily steered us through the dangers of the storm. Throw the tackle in the sea, boys. We'll not need it again, and it may founder us with its weight. The boat, bearing 42 souls, braved the crashing waves, rising up great crests only to crash down into deep troughs in an endless litany of triumph and failure. The sailors pulled on their oars with a renewed vigor, the adrenaline of imminent danger replacing the lethargy of despair. Waves crashed with a hollow, monstrous sound, driving the little boat with a frenzy. They neared the shore at last, but at that exact moment when they might have breathed a sigh of relief and welcomed deliverance, a rogue breaker swept in from the side, raised the little boat high in the air, spinning it until it was parallel to the shore, and then slamming it down onto its side in the exposed beach. Before the passengers could so much as take a breath, the weight of the water came crashing down upon them, and they found themselves neck deep in the brine. At last, they were all safely on the shore. Mothers patted children, husbands comforted wives. The professor has found himself a friend of the Picard family, whose father was returning to Senegal for his business, but bringing his wife and children for the first time. The two oldest sisters, Charlotte and Carolyn, had taken a liking to Robert, the ship's boy, which was fortunate for our professor. Their friendship went a long way to making up for the discomfort of his current situation. They could not, however, assuage his worry for the doctor and his fevered imaginings of what difficulties she might be enduring. So, what do you think we'll do now that we're all safely ashore? I should think we will walk to Senegal. I thought we were on Senegal. Not quite. This stretch of the Barbary coast is still wild. To get to the more civilized part, we shall need to walk for a few days. Charlotte is right. We will be doing quite a bit of walking. But you told me you wished to be an explorer, did you not, Robert? Think of what an adventure it will be. Oh, yes. It's all quite exciting. I wish Petronella were here as well. Petronella? Oh, um, nobody. Just a girl I know. Before the ladies could question him further, the officers called the orders to head out. Many of the passengers had lost their shoes in the tumultuous landing, so they walked across the burning sand barefoot. Over the next two days, this caravan of survivors, beaten but not broken, would make their way down the African coastline towards civilization. The nights were the most difficult, 
as the darkness and lack of shelter created great uneasiness in the company. Whatever was that? Most probably a leopard. Papa says they are thick along this coast. <laughs> Who's that? That sounded like a lion. Are there lions in this part of Africa? I think there are. Lions will attack men. We call them man-eaters. They're not usually found in remote areas like this. Man-eaters are the ones that live close to villages and get used to the presence of humans. There are no villages close to here, are there? Earl Bear. Yes? It would be best if you stopped talking now. The party spent the rest of the night awake, cringing at the calls of the wild animals and expecting to be attacked and eaten at any moment. In the event, the morning arrived without fatality and the weary party set out once again in search of civilization. Much to the company's disgruntlement, they did not yet find a city, though they walked the entire day through punishing heat across boiling sands. But they did find a band of Moors who explained through an interpreter that they wished to help the group and could take them to their camp for food and water. The members of the caravan, not feeling they had much choice, followed the Moors deeper into the desert. After a couple of hours of climbing dunes and sliding down the other side only to climb again, they came to a tented camp at an oasis filled with women, children, dogs, and goats. It was here that a most miraculous coincidence occurred. Does that Arab man know your father? It must be someone my father met when he was in Senegal before. Ahmed, we met Magoman. Come, let us grow acquainted with each other. I think our travels must be nearly over if we have met a friend in this wretched place. They had in fact met a friend, though many in their party were too prejudiced to see it. The strangeness of the Arab camp, the hostile nature of the surrounding environment, and the narrow minds of some of the castaways produced a vile brew of suspicion and fear. Robert. Robert, wake up. Why are you roasting me for the first comfortable sleep I've had since waking up in that vile little boat? We are leaving this camp, Robert. Some of the men feel that the Arabs plan to slit our throats in the night. That is ridiculous. If they'd wished us harm, why go to the trouble to feed us and erect tents for us beforehand? I agree. Then so does Fazer. He argued the same thing, but he was shouted down. And our caravan is leaving all the same. Hurry along, you two. Since the men insist on leaving, Ahmet and some of the others have provided donkeys. And so, the party rejected the hospitality of their gracious hosts and struck off back towards the coast, ironically following the guidance of their Arab friends whose hospitality they had just scorned. You know, scientists speculate the numbers of evil people do not vary much from race to race. A certain percentage of population lends itself to perfidy, and that percentage is the same from the halls of European royalty to the tribes of the Amazon. I am sure we would have come to no harm had we stayed in the Arab camp, sleeping soundly until morning. His traveling companions ignored the professor's ruminations, seeing him as not more than a twelve-year-old boy. They simply put their heads down and continued walking through the night until they gained the shore once again. Where will the professor and his band of survivors end up? We'll find out after this short musical break. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the gypsy rock musical outpourings of Diego's Umbrella. 
nothing bigger than the little Keep my shoes on when I'm dancing with you in the deep. And remember to the purple, the thorns, the sex and the thorns, all trip by trip by trip. I'm going down with the ship. And now it's one more time into the Take my chances, clean on for this world as a canvas. And the cover girl, the thrill, the flash, the high, the crash, it all turns to ash. So come and kiss me like a stranger. When you're wearing that dress, I'm in danger. And I need to confess, I like my pleasure. I can't do the open street, feel it, have it, do it sometimes. And now it's one more time to our story. When last we saw our hero, he had spent the night trudging through the sand away from a comfortable bed and a band of hospitable locals. On the appearance of the morning, they had two fortunate things happen. The first of which was the appearance of the brig Argus, holding ground just behind the swells. Two of the Arab guides swam out to the brig and returned with three barrels between them. It seems the Argus had been sent out to search for the raft and any other survivors. They provided provisions of wine, brandy, and a Dutch cheese, and the welcome news that St. Louis was only one or two days further march. The second bit of good fortune was a second party of Arabs arrived on Camelback from the south to aid them in their journey. But this party held a surprise. Oh my goodness! Be comforted, ladies. Under the costume of an Arab, you see an Englishman who's desirous of serving you. Having heard at Senegal that Frenchmen were thrown ashore on these deserts, I thought my presence might be of some service to them, as I was acquainted with several of the princes of this arid country. We are in your debt, kind sir. No, no, not at all. Mr. James Carnet at your service, from Brighton, England, late of Senegal. All of St. Louis is concerned for your poor victims in the most terrible circumstance. Come, come, let's get you aboard. 
You wish me to ride that loathsome beast? I can assure you, dear lady, they're entirely docile. Thank you, but no thank you. My sister and I will walk. I'd like to ride. If you ladies are absolutely sure you don't wish to ride... Yes, sure. And I cannot desert my sister. You take the ride, Robert. But do not forget about your poor Franz, who toil behind. An interesting note on the effects of transmigratory practices on the traveler's personality. Normally, Professor Savant is the picture of civility and honor. At King's College, he would never consider taking a conveyance for himself whilst the ladies walked behind. But here, in the extremis of shipwreck, in the guise of a twelve-year-old boy, his enthusiasms get the better of him. I've always wanted to ride on a camel. How does one get on? There's a girl, Elsie. Wait until she's settled there. Robert, is it? All right. Climb aboard and take a hold of this strap. I just slide in behind you. There'll be some rocking as she stands. It's totally normal as she gets those long legs beneath her. Charlotte! Carolyn! Look at me! I'm riding on a camel! We see that! Avant Robert! And so, the professor passes the final two days of the journey to St. Louis in sheer delight at the novel experience of traveling by camel. Did you know that camel eyes have three eyelids and two rows of eyelashes to prevent sand from entering their eyes? I might have heard that somewhere, yes. And did you know that camels are very social? In the wild, they travel around with 30 others looking for food. And you've seen a wild herd of camels, then? Well, no, but I have read about them in books. Did you know camels can drink as much as 40 gallons of water at once? Is that so? Yes, and did you know that there is over 160 words for camel in the Arabic language? And so the final stage of the journey passed for the professor in a blur of excitement and wonder as the camel conveyed him at last to the banks of the river Senegal. Charlotte Picard would later describe the captive's delight at seeing the Green River Basin. We hastened our march, and for the first time since our shipwreck, a smiling picture presented itself to our view. We could not satiate our eyes with gazing on the beauties of this place, especially after having traveled through the desert. I, at length, found myself on the banks of a river of fresh water. Everyone having quenched his thirst, we stretched ourselves under the shade of a small grove, whilst the beneficent Mr. Carnet and two of our officers set forward to Senegal to announce our arrival and to get us boats. In the end, the party ended up safely in St. Louis, arriving only one day ahead of those fifteen wretches who were found on the raft by the Argus. Our professor was visiting the Picard sisters when a nurse arrived in the ward with a query. Is there anyone amongst the survivors named Erasmus Savant? I have a patient, one Jean-Charles, that is looking for a, a Professor Erasmus Savant. Robert, are you all right? You look as though someone has put ants in your pants. Uh, I'm sorry. Charlotte? Carolyn? I, I forgot something. Will you excuse me? Nurse, nurse, can you take me to the patient that asked for Erasmus Savant? Are you he? I am, um, well, I know where he is. Well then, follow me. The nurse took the professor to the bedside of Jean Charles, but we already know that he was too late. I am sorry. Evidently the horrors he endured on that blighted raft have gotten the best of him. Can I have a minute? Yes, take whatever time you need. 
The Navy has been in no hurry to retrieve bodies. Petra, what horrible things did you have to endure? Look at those sores. Look at that awful wound. Oh, my dear. My poor dear. It is a credit to our professor that all of his thoughts are of the travails the doctor may have suffered, rather than of his own trials. The same, I suppose, could be said of the doctor, who this very minute is back in her laboratory attempting to discover if there is a way to retrieve her dear friend from a hostile past. Abigail, could you hand me that pin, please? The saber, you mean? He can't actually be planning to stab the professor with his finger-length steel spike. It has been sterilized, and I will not stab the entire length. Only enough to reach the lateral plantar nerve. Won't that be extremely painful? Well, yes, that is the point. This is one of the least invasive ways to test a strong pain reaction. We are testing to see if such a reflexive response can create a pull strong enough to recall his consciousness to his body. I had intended on beginning such research in the next phase of our investigations, but the professor has kindly provided the opportunity at this juncture. He would approve if he were here to do so. I trust that you know the professor better than anyone. You are aware that he agrees to most of your schemes less out of a spirit of scientific inquiry and more from a sense of loyalty to you. I am aware of the professor's loyalties. Yes, Abigail, thank you. Now... Will you turn that light this way? The doctor bends over the soft and rather pink sole of the professor's foot. Her probing fingers press along the heel and then follow the contour along the outside edge to a space a few centimeters above the heel. She presses firmly with a fingernail into the small crease there and nods approvingly when his toes twitch. Yes, that is the spot. Here goes. She jabs the pin deep into the tender spot. The professor's toes curl acutely. The muscles all along the sciatic nerve through the leg tense. The breath hitches in the lungs, but the professor does not awaken. Update, 12.15 a.m. It is obvious that the professor's body is capable of feeling pain. A pin stuck firmly into the lateral plantar nerve yields a corresponding display of pain responses, including anterior muscle contraction and respiratory distress patterns. Unfortunately, this pain response does not create the desired effect of awakening. I'm sorry, Doctor. Perhaps you should get some rest? It is only midnight, Abigail, and my body was at rest for 15 days. But your mind was not. The brain can get fatigued as well. Maybe just go for a walk, clear your head. The professor will be safe here. And if he's in danger there, well, is that not a good thing? Danger might cause his death and then that would bring him back to us. <laughs> you may have a point. And so the doctor does as Abigail orders and goes to take in some fresh air. Meanwhile, back in Senegal... Ouch! Young Robert, are you okay? Uh, no, I, I stepped on something or something stabbed my foot. Here, let me help you with this chair. Sit down. Which foot is it? Uh, the right foot, near the heel. Oh, you haven't had a chance for a bath yet, I see. Hmm. There doesn't seem to be any wound. Does this hurt? No. This? That's funny. The pain is gone. Well, check your boot to see if there's a thorn or a nail. But your foot is uninjured. 
there's nothing in the boot, either. Perhaps you were just overly tired. When was the last time you had a good night's sleep? Well, I... Of course. I'm sorry. That was a stupid question. I suggest you find a place to sleep, young man. But maybe find your way to a bath first. You will rest much better once you've removed all that salt crust and desert sand. The professor took the nurse's advice and found a bath followed by a bed. He slept the clock around and awoke in the late afternoon of the next day, at a bit of a loss for what to do with himself. He wandered into the female ward in search of the Picard sisters. Oh, hello, Charlotte. Hello, Carolyn. Are you faring well? Oui, yeah. thank you, Robert. I am bathed and rested and beginning to feel more myself, whatever that is. It was quite a dramatic and wrenching adventure, wasn't it? I shall write about it. Oh, you plan to publish our adventures, then? Oh, I don't know if I should publish it. In fact, she did, under the rather florid title, Perils and Captivity, comprising the sufferings of the Picard family after the shipwreck of the Medusa in the year 1816. But I have written an opening. Would you be willing to listen and tell me what you think? I would be honored. <clears throat> On the 17th of June, at four in the morning, we set sail as did the whole expedition, which consisted of the Medusa Forget, the Loeche storeship, the Argus Brig, and the Echo Corvette. The wind being very favorable, we soon lost sight of the green fields of La Nuit. At six in the morning, however, the island of Ray still appeared above the horizon. We fixed our eyes upon it with regret to salute for the last time our dear country. Now, imagine the ship borne aloft and surrounded by huge mountains of water, which at one moment tossed it in the air, and at another plunged it into the profound abyss. What do you think? Well, that is most specific and dramatic. I should think that one day a historian might greatly appreciate such an exacting account. I shall be sure to mention your friendship in my account. And me? You must mention me. I shall tell of your bravery and papa's and the remarkable coincidence of meeting Amet. And will you tell of those poor wretches on the raft? I will. For in the reflection of such a horrible misadventure as ours, there is no better anodyne than the truth. It does relieve the pain a great deal to know that two such brave and valiant girls as yourselves have survived the ordeal. Now, if you will excuse me, I must begin to hunt for employment, for I cannot imagine I will be welcome to dine on my survivor's fame for long. The professor is right, of course. At this point in history, it was one thing to be the pretty daughters of a solicitor with some position in the community. But a parentless ship's boy had no status on which to trade, and would not long be tolerated as indigent. The capitalistic avarice that insisted each man must fend for himself led to many large cracks in the fabric of society for the poor and orphaned to fall through. In any case, our hero fell into a bit of good luck as he left the hospital that afternoon... Hail, fellow. Well met. You're the boy I shared a camel with, are you not? I hardly recognized you with a clean face. Hello. Mix Carnet, is it not? I beg your pardon? Mix? Uh, oh, no. I I'm a bulldog. So sorry. 
Mr. Carnett, how are you this day? I'm off on another adventure. I've got word this morning that one of my favorite bands of Bedouins will be coming to the Lampool Oasis. I shall ride out tomorrow to trade, dine, and make merry with my friends. You aren't by any chance interested in another camel ride. Really? That would be truly excellent. I should expect you to work. Take care of the camels and such. Absolutely, sir. I believe in work. I am, after all, a ship's boy. I have been working for two years now. Well, you shall be trading a ship of the line for a ship of the desert, then. We will need to get you some proper clothes for the desert, however. Come with me. The kindly Englishman leads the boy to the market, and soon the professor has exchanged ship's canvas for breathable linen and salt-stiffened constraint for flowing comfort. There. If it weren't for that freckled British skin, you'd look like a proper Arab boy. Mr. Carnet, may I ask you a question? Go ahead, my boy. I am most curious what leads an Englishman to give up the verdant comforts of home and take root in such an inhospitable place. The answer is simple, my boy. The taste for adventure. Can I tell me that you've not felt the draw of that? I suppose I do have a bit of a taste for it. I just wish that adventure didn't have to end so often in death. <laughs> and so we will leave the professor and his new sponsor to their preparations for adventure and pause for a word from our sponsor. The Portalist is a haven for science fiction and fantasy fans. They value imagination and science equally and welcome all who are curious passionate and eager for an uplifting, inclusive view of the universe. Check their website daily for their unique take on everything from pop culture and books to science and the future of our species. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for their newsletter to get top stories delivered weekly to your inbox. As a special treat for Sage and Savant listeners, The Portalist is offering a free copy of Oshin McGann's Merciless Reason to everyone who signs up for their newsletter. Get your copy at theportalist.com slash hello-sage-and-savant-listeners. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. For stories that take you to another world... Look for The Portalist. And now, back to our show. When we left the professor, he was joining forces with the British adventurer Mr. Carnet, planning to venture once again into the heart of the desert. This expedition was to prove wholly different from the first. It seems that most of the hostile reputation of those Sare Hills come from people unprepared for the landscape. At the sight of a man who could read the desert's moods, find shade and water when needed, and who traveled fully victualled and provisioned, the desert became a wonderscape of variety and enchantment. And over the weeks, while the professor forgets the expediency of death, the doctor plots and plans to try and bring him home. Doctor Sage, this will not work anymore. Stop the 42 lasting harm to the professor's form. It has to work. You're forgetting one thing, Doctor. Your method of transmigration means that consciousness alone is transmitted, but with the mind called the will. Are you saying that the professor is willing himself to stay in the past? Not exactly, no. What I'm saying is that I think you have adequate proof. 
that if any part of the will stays with the body, then the things you have done in an attempt to wake it would have an effect. The body feels, but those feelings do not translate into action. Please, please stop before you do harm to your friends. I feel so helpless. I know. We must find some other thing to occupy your thoughts. Perhaps we can finish the paper for Max Cunningham? Oh, that paper. I'm beginning to regret the idea of trans-limb attachment. Why did I ever think that was a good idea? Because it was, and it remains a good idea. Too many people suffer with the loss of a limb. You'll be helping a lot of people. But first, you must submit your research. You are right, Abigail, as always. Uh, the paper it is, then. Just give me a moment, won't you? I don't know what to do, Erasmus. I don't know what to say. You are the man of eloquent words and actions. Words are unsteady in my mouth. Their formulas don't calculate. I want to solve this problem with science. I want to use mathematics to conquer the distance between us. And if that fails, I want to rage with the fire of 100,000 amperes until I burn the space between us to ash. And so, we must end our season with the pain of separation, dear listeners. Will our heroes be reunited, or will the Professor succumb to the lure of permanent adventure? We'll find out in the Series 2 premiere, coming August 1st, 2017. Until that time, we here at Twin Star Studios wish you and yours the very best that time has to offer. <laughs> The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Special guest in this episode is Justin Andrew Hope. Find more from him at dreadfullypunk.com. Episode 12, Part 2, Racked and Ruin, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical information we included in this episode? Go to our website for additional facts. Theme music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was provided by Diego's Umbrella. Check them out at diegosumbrella.com. Our episode sponsor was The Portalist. Find them at theportalist.com. And catch our website at sageandsavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. Remember, death is no barrier to science.